Hello, I'm Emily, a soon-to-be third-year law student. And I'm George, a soon-to-be third-year MML student. Welcome to The Spoke, where we spoke to you about all things cats. The Spoke is a podcast for all your cat-based needs. We're here to broadcast interviews and features about cats directly to your phone. Recorded across an entire continent to bring cats and its wheelie good community together. You may have noticed that we love puns, and The Spoke is a pun based off the wheel. To settle down, grab a cup of tea and an unlimited portion of potatoes. It's The Spoke. be honest, Cambridge can be strange sometimes. From supos to plodges and pidges to bops, studying at Cambridge requires students to make sense of many concepts that don't seem to exist beyond the bubble. Today we'd like to find out more about one of these Cambridgey things, the role of senior tutor. At the end of Lent term this year, former senior tutor and fellow in MML, Dr Miranda Griffin left the college to take up a new post at Murray Edwards. For many current students, Dr Griffin was one of the first people that we met on moving in day when we arrived in college. Box of Ikea cutlery in one hand and a baby succulent in the other. George and I, however, first met her in the dreaded interview room where she interrogated us in front of her cosy fireplace. A scary experience. We only later realised that this is just what a supervision really is. Dr Griffin spent over a decade at Cats, no doubt giving her all the time needed to sample every type of potato served in Hall. Before becoming senior tutor, she also was the admissions tutor for the humanities. We never properly got to say goodbye to her, given the pandemic and all, so we thought we'd catch up with her today. Tune in to hear more about her Cambridge experiences as both a student and a fellow, and uncover the mysteries of medieval French. Just before we begin, as at points in the episode Dr Griffin discusses access and admissions, we wanted to note that we recorded this conversation in July, prior to current circumstances surrounding admissions for the current academic year. Uh, Dr Griffin, thank you for joining us. Um, Firstly, your time at CATS unfortunately came to a bit of an abrupt ending due to the pandemic. Uh, Can you explain those last couple of weeks under those rapidly changing circumstances? Yeah, I mean, I think it was the least ideal way to finish being senior tutor. we work so hard, I mean all colleges do, um, and in, at St Catharines, you know, the fellows and the staff and lots of students work really hard to make sure that the college feels like home. And so to have to say to students, the place that feels like your home to you isn't safe and you have to leave is horrible. Um, and. I mean, and and as difficult and heartbreaking as it was for me to have to write to everybody and and say that, I know it was much worse for a lot of people who then were faced with all kinds of just really impossible situations and decisions and very difficult journeys. Um, So the last couple of weeks of my stint as senior tutor was really making sure that everybody could get home as safely as possible, could be supported in doing so. If they couldn't get home, um, how the college could support them either by staying in college or um, journeying elsewhere. Um, And getting to grips with all the new technology that we're having to use in order to keep in touch with each other. I'd never used Teams, I'd never used Zoom. Um, So all of these things were, were... brand brand new 
um, and and not skills that I'd expected to have to master super quickly, kind of within the last fortnight of being senior tutor. So it was it was all a bit. Um, it was all a bit difficult and you know I think probably one of the hardest things I've had to do in my professional life. And lockdown has been a pretty interesting experience for all of us like prompting many people to take up new hobbies, some people even starting to record podcasts. So how has your lockdown experience been? Have you been taking up baking, jogging? No I do you know I've had plantar fasciitis in my left heel since February and so I can't run. I mean not that I mean, I wouldn't want anybody to get, a, you know, to get the impression that I would otherwise be, you know, zipping about doing marathons. But um, so instead, um, because I am, you know, a middle class cliche, there's been a lot of sourdough in my life um, and a lot of yoga. Uh, and I mean, I've been lucky enough to be in lockdown in our house in Over, which is a village just outside Cambridge, which has enough space for the four of us to have somewhere to work um, and a garden so also a lot of gardening has taken place um, and I live right on the edge of a fen um, so I've been going out for long walks in in the fen and doing doing some bird watching actually which has been really great yeah yeah well the there's a little RSPB reserve just down the road from where I live and there was what uh, about a couple of weeks where if you went for a walk, you probably would hear a bittern and a cuckoo at the same time. And this was very exciting. Has it kind of been, has there been an element of it being a bit strange, not kind of being able to go into Cambridge? Oh, it's it's been kind of... really strange. Yeah. And actually, I mean, I was able to, to pop into college to pick up some books. Um, and that actually was worse because it was, oh, it was awful. It was so sad. It just felt so weird and lonely um, and deserted. You you really realise that a college is so much more than just its building. Yeah, it's. I, I went up to go and collect some books there, just hand in some books at one point, and it just feels it felt so deserted. I know, kind of a bit alien, a little bit. It was like haunted almost. You know, yeah. There's a medieval French story about a knight who goes to the Grail Castle and he sees the Grail procession and he he wonders what it's for and he thinks, oh, I should really ask, and he doesn't ask the question. And then he wakes up in the morning and everyone says, why didn't you ask the question? Because you didn't ask the question. The land is deserted and the castle is deserted and there's no one there. And it felt just like that. It felt like this kind of deserted landscape. If we go all the way back to the beginning of your time at Cambridge, what were your experiences like as a student and how kind of do they differ to, to those that we experience? So as you probably know, I was a student at what was then called New Hall and is now Murray Edwards College. And I mean, I think really the student experience doesn't differ that much in that, you know, you, you're coming to a new place from, um, in my case, a small rural Wiltshire t town where I'd been at a comprehensive and, you know, among the, the, the cleverest people in my year at school all the way through. And then suddenly I was, that was no longer the case. Um, and I think that's still quite a familiar experience yeah. <laughs> for, for a lot of us, right? Um, and certainly, you know, kind of enables me to identify with my students when they... Um, come and say, oh, it seems to have been a terrible mistake. I shouldn't be here. Um, and I remember feeling like that. But I was thinking about what the main difference was. And the main difference was we didn't have email or mobile phone. So you did not 
make arrangements to see your friends you just went round to see them so I, I think oh I'm a bit bored I've finished my essay I'll just go around and see somebody on spec and sometimes they were there and sometimes they weren't and so um there's there's a, a a kind of I've got a whole box of them still this you know ancient artifacts which were bits of paper that you would stick on your door and people would leave you messages saying oh I came around to see you and you weren't here and then you know people would write you poems and draw you pictures and you know kind of make witty comments or not very witty comments and also you'd get to know other people's housemates as well because if you went around to somebody's house and they weren't there and that is how I met my husband. I used to go around and see my friends who were never there um, and they shared a house with some boys from Fitzwilliam and um Andy was quite often there and I used to think oh he's very nice and he always used to make me a cup of tea and that was how I met him. <laughs> so if Facebook Messenger hadn't existed you might not have met him. I'd be in a very different place exactly. It reminds me that we found out really recently that the cork board next to our doors is actually meant to <laughs> pin messages to um, which we don't use at all anymore. Yes I also remember finding out about email in my fourth year I had um, a friend whose boyfriend was a massive computer nerd and um, he said that he was in the, in the email club and we all went, what, what is that? What is that? And he, and he was going, well, you can send messages between computers. And we were all sitting around going, why? What a weird idea. Why would anyone do that? That's so... Anyway, so that's why I now teach medieval French. Well, actually, we wanted to ask, why medieval French? It wasn't until my fourth year that I started doing medieval French, actually. Um, I went on my year abroad. Um, I was just outside Paris. And uh, one of the things... Oh, it was amazing, because I, I had... Um, a job as a assistant at a school, which meant that I got a little card um, that attested to my status of, as a teacher. And that meant I could go into museums for free, which was amazing. So I spent a lot of time um, getting on the RER into Paris and going to museums. And my favourite museum to go to was the Musée de Cluny which was the Medieval Art Museum. And I I just really hadn't had much to do with medieval literature or art or, or anything, but it just really captivated me. And I came back to Cambridge um, and said to my then director of studies, well, I was thinking of doing medieval French in a sort of very sort of random way. And bless her, she didn't talk me out of it and said, oh yeah, sure. Um, and put me in touch with a really, I mean, one of the most intelligent and important people for me um, that I've ever met, um, which was my person who went, then went on to be my PhD supervisor, Sarah Kay, um, and she supervised me. And, and it just, it was just one of those things that it just, everything fell into place. And I just thought, this is what, this is what I want to do. I found, I found my thing. Um, and I remember during finals walking um, past the UL with my friends and uh, they were going I never have to go in there again and I thought oh no this is a terrible thought I feel so sad and then I thought yeah I'm gonna have to carry on doing this for just a bit longer just a few more decades. So many people are most likely aware of certain figures um, from medieval French legends and um, perhaps without being aware of it King Arthur for example 
kind of differences do you think there are between our ideas of these legends and the originals? Say, for example, BBC Merlin. Yeah, BBC Merlin. I started watching that that series with my husband when it first came out and then I was banned from watching it ever again after the first episode because I spent the whole episode just going, no, that's not right. That character doesn't do that. Um, which, and then obviously I thought afterwards, but that's very medieval because basically medieval literature is fan fiction. I mean, it's kind of taking a universe and its characters and adapting it and, and playing with it and telling new stories um, depending on the depending on the, the cultural moment. So we found out through extensive research and by this I mean reading your page on the CATS website that you've spent some time teaching at Oxford so we were wondering what that was like and whether you find that leaving Cambridge for some time allows you to come back with fresh eyes. So I taught in Oxford between 2001 and 2003. That job came to an end when um, I had my first daughter. And I, at that point, thought, I, I don't know how to be an academic and have a baby. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't really see how academia at that stage and, and kind of my position in it could accommodate me as a parent and then after a little while of being at home with my daughter I then started thinking actually you know there are probably ways in which I could design my life such that it's possible to do this so what you said Emily is absolutely right that having had a bit of time away from Cambridge but actually from academia has really made me think about what it is about this career which it's a you know it's a strange world and it's a strange career in lots of ways and it's an incredibly privileged one um, and affords you all kinds of really wonderful opportunities but that you have to be able to just think hard about what it is that you will give up and what it what what are your red lines you know what you won't sacrifice and I mean one of the great things about being an academic is that you can be fairly flexible in that you don't have to be working in an office nine to five. And, and so actually, for me, being on sabbatical as well in lockdown um, has not been as much of a, an adjustment as it has for a lot of people because I've worked from home an awful lot, actually, over the years. So Oxford was... It, uh, it wasn't the right time for me to have that job then, um, but it taught me a lot about um, the way that you need to just be realistic about the other things that you want in your life apart from your career um, and, and think about what you will compromise on and what you absolutely can't. Did it go to a firm in any way that Cambridge is by far the superior university? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know. I mean, there are lots of there are lots of great things about Cambridge, but, you know, as we all know, there are lots of things which are less than satisfactory as well um, that you know but you have to be in it to work on that. So on our arrival in 2018 um, we were kind of quite surprised to hear that CATS had been the most oversubscribed college other than the fact that it's clearly the best college why do you think that was? Well I think we we'd done a number of things slightly differently so it was when I was admissions tutor along with David Bainbridge and we had made a number of decisions, just little ones, about the way that we were going to, for instance, run open days, 
and um, ask students to be ambassadors for the college. And I think all of those just worked really beautifully. I think also at Open Days, we are, St Catharines is in a really great position because people get off their bus on the backs and then they walk up Silver Street and then they turn left because they're heading towards, you know, some fancy college, you know, kind of in the <laughs> middle of town. And then St. Catherine's is the first one that you come to, more or less. And the gates were open and we had a lovely gazebo outside with lots of friendly members of staff and fellows and students. And we were just really good at kind of nobbling people as they went past and going, come to Cats, it's great, come on a tour. So I think that really helped. I think we had, you know, we had a good online presence. And I don't know who it was who wrote our little profile on um, the student room. But that is, it's so sweet and it's so positive. And all the other colleges, you know, they're, they're quite sort of serious the way they're written. And then the cat's one says things like, what are the disadvantages? Well, the crest is quite boring. It's just a wheel. And and just kind of says lots of really nice things. Not all of them were true, actually, though. So there was like a whole thing about how you could cook in your room. And we had to keep going, no, you can't. No, absolutely not. But I do think that that really helped. But it was, yeah, that was quite a surprise, let me tell you, when we realised we had over a thousand applications. But actually, one of the really great things about that year was that although we had over a thousand applications for about 135 places, actually one in five of the applicants to St Catharines got a place at Cambridge that year so which is the the sort of the normal ratio so that showed that the pool actually really worked for the people who applied to St Catharines as well so that was kind of a success story in the end but yes your your year were um I was I was kind of thinking shall I tell them that they're the you know the, the year that's the result of the highest number of applications or is that too much pressure but it feels like such a long time ago now as well. And you also got to interview both George and I. So. I did. I know. I that I just realised that I interviewed both of you. Isn't that funny? So every year, Cambridge and other similar universities are um, in the news after the release of their admission statistics. Um, in the last few years, we've seen an increase in those from working class backgrounds and BAME backgrounds being admitted into Cambridge colleges. During your time as admissions tutor, what progress did you see? Well, so I think one of the things that we have seen is how important the job of the school's liaison officer is. And I think it's really important to acknowledge the incredible hard work that uh, Jessie Alawalia did when she was uh, in post and now Catherine Singleton, because what we're able to do via the hard work and ingenuity um, of people like Catherine is reach out into schools where there are talented, enthusiastic people who love their subject but wouldn't necessarily think of applying to Cambridge. There's still an awful lot of work to be done both on the college level and at the university level and it's difficult to know what that will look like when it's done and my feeling is actually it's kind of work that you just have to keep doing all the time. This past year, CATS has been celebrating its 40 years since admitting women. And I remember the lovely speech that you gave during the CATS 40 celebration dinner. You mentioned that women have actually always been involved with the college somehow, even before um, 1973, I think. 79. 1979. 
Yeah, so it, in 1974, um, John Thompson and Graham Davis proposed that women should be admitted, but it took them five years. And do you mind just expanding on this? I, because I really found it so interesting to really kind of accentuate the fact that women didn't just appear in cats suddenly in the no. middle of the, near the end of the 20th century. No. Well, and of course, women have been involved in Cambridge colleges um, from a very practical level, right from the very beginning in terms of in terms of kind of being members of staff. What I wanted to stress in that in that speech really was the importance of co-education, was the importance of people of all genders being educated together and exchanging ideas with one another. And I mean, that really sort of enhances the educational experience of everyone. If you have, and of course, this isn't just about gender, it's about race and background um, as well. But if you have people who have different experiences, all coming together to learn together and from one another it's just going to be a much more interesting and rich experience and also more successful as well because you'll you'll have more voices in the room from from a more diverse set of backgrounds and so you are going to get more interesting answers. So as your time at CATS comes to an end um, and you move back to Murray Edwards are there any particular highlights or memories of CATS from your experiences here that you'll take with you? So many so many so being senior tutor, what a privilege, such an interesting job, really exciting and really exciting to be the first woman to be permanently senior tutor, I mean, not permanently, but kind of elected um, to, the, to the job For, and, and the opportunities that gave me to find out about how the university is run, um, which has been an eye opener. A moment that I, so two moments I think that will always stay in my mind are the graduation, the only graduation that I, that I did, um, so in 2019, and standing in front of a big long line of graduands all in their gowns and hoods with the prilector Richard Dance and the master Mark Welland and Toby the dog, most importantly of all, and we stood in front of the gates and the head porter opened the gates and we walked through them. And it was, I think, the nearest I'll get to being a Hollywood celebrity because it was just, there was just this kind of bank of tourists and parents taking our photographs. And it was quite overwhelming, but it was very, very exciting and just made me think, you know, what a, what a special moment for all these people who were off to graduate. And, and to contrast that with this year, when that hasn't been able to, you know, we haven't had that happen, is has, has been very sad. Um, and I really hope that, you know, when life can resume some sort of normality, we'll be able to, well, the college will be able to create something special for those people so that they get that moment. And the other moment that I really enjoyed uh, was meeting Ian McKellen. <laughs> um, so, uh, and um, just... You know when you meet people who are super famous and you think, oh no, they'll probably just be really awful and full of themselves. And, but he, you know, he seems really lovely, but maybe not, but he was just as lovely as um, you would hope. And so interested in meeting all of the students. And he, I watched him at the birthday tea that we had in the McGrath Centre. I watched him 
walk all the way around the room and talk to every single group of students. Um, and it was it was really exciting. That was that was a really special moment. You complimented me on the pair of shoes I was wearing that day. So that's a pair of shoes that I'm never allowed to throw away now. Yes. <laughs> yes, you must frame those shoes. Yeah, I'll keep them forever. Um, thank you very much for talking to us today. We have been asking all of our interviewees if they could sum up their time at CATS in three words. So what, what three words would best summarise your time here? I've, I, I made a list, three <laughs> words. So the first one that I thought was education, education, education. And then I thought, well, somebody's already done that one. So I already that. And uh, I thought of for the wheel as well, but that's kind of a bit generic. And uh, I thought wheelie, wheelie fun, because we all love a good pun on a wheels. Um, but I think actually I will go with 13 incredible years. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us and talking to us today. It's been a pleasure. It's been good to spoke to you. It's been great to spoke to you. And I think we speak as all of the current student population in saying that you will really, really be missed. We'll go up the hill and come for brunch. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, come and come and visit the dome. It's a wonder. I'm happy to hear that the pun is catching on. It was great to speak to Dr Griffin and we look forward to seeing her either visiting cats or to Medwood's brunch. I can't believe that Facebook Messenger could be preventing us from meeting our future spouses in Cambridge. Who knew? Keep up to date with all your cat-based news by following our Facebook page called The Spoke or our Instagram page, The Spoke Podcast. We hope to spoke to you again soon. Thank you to Dr Miranda Griffin for talking to us today. This episode of The Spoke was produced and edited by Emily Gobey and George Kristen Marks. Thanks to Alice Wallace and the choir for the jingle. Additional thanks to Katerina Dixon for the artwork and to St Catherine's College for funding the project. Thanks also to the rest of The Spoke team, Emma MacDonald, Ellie Gregson and Robert Sizer. You guys are great.